Troy is a notorious wonk in Edmonton who prides himself on reading data badly and thinking he's a war hero for interacting with people from rural areas. At Abdul Y. Malik. Real rude, but not entirely off base. Too many ferromatics spoil the broth. This week, I'll be defending my character after accusations of being a capitalist, right-wing, dog-whistling racist. That means we're talking about free transit, or lack thereof, and journalism, or lack thereof. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And once again, we're Speaking Municipally. Uh, Let me just say off the top, very good show last week with Sarah. I thought that went really well. Wow, you're really stepping on my role here. You're, you're jumping right back in. Episode 63, welcome back. But yes, it was a really good episode yeah, with Sarah. Yeah, I feel like I've missed out, so I had to jump in. Uh, Sarah was was great, as expected, and, and you did a fine job as well, Troy. Oh, wow, that's <laughs> really, really selling Troy's performance. Uh, yeah, thanks again to Sarah from Paths for People. Always a pleasure to have guests on the podcast. I don't know if there was some ideological reason we chose Sarah to have on, but... No, I'm sure not. When Troy chooses the guests, uh, you know, some good choices get made. I will give you an insight into how the pie gets made. We had reached out to uh, Edmonton Transit to come on and give us an in-depth dive into fare policy and the transit redesign. But they pretty reasonably said, we'd like to talk to council before we talk in detail to you guys. Probably because they've heard the podcast before. (laughs) They knew what was coming. Yeah. Uh, Well, probably what happened is they hadn't heard the podcast because they were initially on board. And then after to a, a couple days, they're just like, oh, we listened. No, no, this is not a good idea before we talk to council. So today we'll talk about it without them. Oh, yeah. And then we'll get them back another day. Yeah, you missed your opportunity to get ahead of the train or a bus, as it were. <laughs> Let's jump right into the rapid fire segment. The Katz Group wants to build the second largest arena in Europe in Frankfurt, Germany. The proposed building, called The Dome, would have a capacity of 23,000, but would focus on concerts and other headlining events, with sports like basketball and hockey serving as a secondary usage. In my three minutes looking up German definite articles, I found that the neuter definite form is das, so I think, and bear with me here, we can say that since Katz likes to drop definite articles, the area around The Dome could conceivably be called Ice Tricked. The robots have come for our jobs. Parking at the Expo Center has gone completely automated, which means that the 32 cashiers will lose their jobs, though this time the cashiers will move to other roles. Last time, in 2015, Northlands fired all 38 of its parking cashiers with the then-CEO Tim Reed publicly accusing the group of theft and the organization claiming the cashier skimming was occurring in 12-19% to of all transactions. The 38 fired cashiers have since sued the organization for defamation, which the courts ruled this September can move forward. Northlands had moved to have the allegations dismissed in January and appealed later on, but to no avail, with the Court of Appeal in Alberta ruling that there was a clear case made for defamation and that the case would proceed to trial on a to-be-set date. When asked how they felt about this decision and the ongoing suit, the new parking machine said, Beep bop. Edmontonians now need to make an appointment to drop off a healthy, lost cat at the animal care center. The shelter instituted the policy after long periods of being overcapacity and dealing with large influxes of cats, sometimes as many as 52 in one day. Small kittens, cats in medical distress, or pregnant cats will not need to go through this new process. The city has suggested that sometimes it's better to just leave the cat where it is, as cats allowed to wander back home are 10 times more likely to be reunited with their family than ones brought to the shelter. 
The province of Alberta, however, has cautioned that while they share similar characteristics with the cats, standoffish, arrogant, and entitled, any conservative MLA seen wandering the streets in Edmonton should be picked up and returned home very quickly. They're in the wrong city and might not make it through the cold. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local non-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kosowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. should be noted that uh, electricity rates aren't capped anymore, so you might actually want to think about your electricity. I know I've had to like consider my bill for the first time in several years. Good call. Um, so we're going to jump right into the topics, and I think the best place to start is the tweets that got me into trouble this week, because... I had mentioned in previous episodes that I was going to speak at this meeting about fair policy. I've long advocated for free transit. And when the white paper on user fees came out in 2015 or 2016, I was there right at the forefront telling council, this is why you should make buses free. And they didn't really expect that, but like, okay, Troy, and then moved on with their business. So I was frustrated that I wasn't able to make it. This was to executive committee, executive committee on Monday of this week. And I was especially frustrated because I felt like the speakers weren't adequately representing what I might have said there. And we'll get into that a little bit later. I had suggested that uh, they were perhaps too climate change focused in their uh, commentary. And then I tweeted that. And if you've ever been on Twitter, taking an anti-climate change um, perspective, never positive. We read you one of the tweets off the top. So yeah, I was in for a treat. I was... I picked up my phone at one point in the day and it said 70 notifications and then I closed Twitter. But Mac, what happened? What did council decide that I was so chagrined with? Well, the reports I went to council were all about ridership. So there was a report talking about how ridership uh, peaked uh, on Edmonton Transit. There was a report about transit service policy, uh, fare policy, and how they were going to consider you know, changing the fare policy. There was a bunch of other transit related things. Uh, reports related to DATS, LRT extension, um, the sort of first last kilometer community solutions and bus network redesign, of course. And ultimately what they decided was they're not going to go ahead with free transit. Instead, council decided they'd like to try to improve service and that they couldn't talk about changing fares until they felt like the service was better. And that the reason that perhaps ridership had declined in the last number of years is because the quality of the service was not very good. And I take it you didn't necessarily agree. Yes and no. I don't necessarily disagree with many of the things you said there. And in fact, one of the important points to address here is that like free transit was never really on the table here. Councillor Paquette, when he put forward this motion to evaluate ridership and fair policy stuff, he was, of course, trying to get it on the table. But the reports were very negative on free transit. Administration was not recommending go forward. And in their draft policy on fares, free transit wasn't even mentioned. Neither were reductions in fares. They said free transit would increase by about 28% under a fare-free model, but warned that it would be difficult to meet that demand with limited capacity to increase service. They also said it would cost more taxes, obviously, to to address additional operating costs and increased maintenance. So as you say, they weren't very supportive of a free, fare-free model for transit pricing. 
So I think the best place to start here is a little bit esoteric and wonkish, but it's how policy is framed in the city of Edmonton. So city council, they approve policy that provides direction for administration to draft procedures and actually do stuff. Right. So the previous transit fair policy wasn't great. Um, it was uh, policy number C451G. And essentially, it just said bylaw 8353 requires people to pay a fare. Council will be consulted about the fare in the operating budget. It's very short. It's a single page. Policy statement's about three sentences long. Yep. Entire policy. And I would say, you know, not a great policy. So perhaps it's sensible to update that. However, I was like hoping with the transit fare policy that we'd get something more material. One of the things I've complained about in the past is that it seems like administration runs the city and council just rubber stamps thing until everything goes wrong and then council has to slap some hands. That was the first episode of this podcast. Yes, it was. This policy feels a lot like that. So, I mean, you can read the policy, but essentially the new transit fare policy basically says some nice things like the new Fee policy will be balanced, equitable, affordable, and rewarding. These are the four principles that it now includes. Yeah. And then it also includes specific discounts for other fares. So there's a regular fare at 100% fee, and then, you know, a low income fare that's 35%, a senior fare that's 65%, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing I thought was interesting in the in the draft policy was that it actually includes the target range for the revenue cost ratio. This is the, the amount that we recover from fare box fares which I don't think was in the policy before, was it? It wasn't. And that's exactly my point that I was about to get to. Oh, because I you to it. that represents our current fare recovery. Because uh, long on the edmonton.ca website, under transit, you'd see that fare recovery is about 40 to 45% of the transit budget. Right. And that's just because that's what administration was doing. Right. And then they put forward a policy that says, yeah, fare recovery will be 40 to 45%. And no one stopped to ask, well, why? Yeah. This is a policy setting this as a target. Why aren't we targeting zero? Why aren't we targeting 10%? Why aren't we targeting 90%? And the justification that they give in the presentation was there is a white paper on user fees that said roughly the cost borne by society and the individual should be equal to the benefit that society and the individual receives. So, for example, um, you when you are parking a car... Mm-hmm you should probably bear 100% of that cost because you get all the benefit. Society doesn't really get any benefit from from you parking a car. Ironically, that's not how we do things. (laughs) Parking is massively subsidized. On the other hand, it'll say something like transit where there's actual, you know, societal economic benefits. In terms of? Reduced emissions, reduced congestion, reduced wear and tear on the road, denser build forms. So these are all some advantages. And it says, we're going to set the proportion roughly equal. But then it says 40 to 45%. And now, if you look at the statistics around the world, uh, there's a pretty frequently retweeted report that says, for every dollar you spend on each mode of transportation, society pays X number. And for every dollar you spend on transit, society pays about 250 versus a car for every dollar you spend, society pays about $9. So you have private vehicle use being subsidized at about a 90% rate in the typical organization and public transit being subsidized at about a 60% rate. And then in that same white paper on user fees that said, we're going to set this at the threshold for 
private and public benefit, it also said that every year public transit generates $700 million in economic value for the city of Edmonton on top of a $300 million budget. So it's more than making 200% its investment back annually. Right. I would say that's a pretty massive societal benefit. Absolutely. So why are we setting this as the target? This flies in the face of the white paper on user fees, the policy on private public pay. It is perfectly fine for them to say right now we're paying 40 to 45 percent. But if they were actually following their own white paper and setting it at the personal and public benefit, then that number should be the cost recovery ratio should be 10, 20 percent and then maybe even zero. The fact that that wasn't even a discussion point that was mentioned sort of gets me to the point of, well, this is administration wants to keep doing status quo, right. doing what they're this doing. This is just what they're doing today. So then now they're going to actually enshrine it in policy, which is kind of like administration running the city, as exactly. you said. So council didn't bring it up at all. Nobody questioned it. Not really. And that, I think, might have been partially because of the speakers. To the credit, some of the speakers made some very good points about the social justice implications of this all. Absolutely. We have low income and reduced fare options that you can do means tested. Yeah. But there's a stigma associated with that. You have to go through the bureaucracy of means testing. Some people find that embarrassing. to do it. Like, yeah. Like there are a lot of problems with that. And that's by no means an infallible system. The best way to remove the stigma with getting on public transit for free is to make it free for everyone, and then anyone who needs it will have it for free. Sure. So there's absolutely a social justice and equity reason for making transit free. Um, and I just laid out there's an economic argument for making transit free. What I don't think there is is a climate change argument for making transit free. Because when administration's report said 28% increase in transit usage if it was free, that's great. And that's we should pursue that, but it moves the needle of mode share from 9 to 12%. So this is the percentage of people that get around the city via public transit as opposed to walking or cycling or driving. Yeah, the people who on the census would report my primary mode of transportation is, it would move from 9 to 12%, a three percentage point increase. So I mentioned to my wife earlier that I thought it was kind of interesting that it was only 3%. I mean, there's so many people that are willing to pay the exorbitant costs associated with driving when transit is now completely free. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Like, we live in Edmonton. So I guess it's not that surprising. It, it's really not. <laughs> and you said it's not even 3%. That 3% shift isn't even drivers. No, because around the world, for example, in uh, Tallinn, Estonia, where they made all public transit free, one of the things they found is that the bulk of the shift actually came from people making active modes of transportation, which makes sense. If you are walking 12 blocks and you see a bus come by, you're I like, jump hey, on, jump on, jump off. You wouldn't pay $3 for that. But if it's free, sure. Yeah, that perfectly describes what I would do. Totally. Yeah. And that leads to increased peak area congestion to which some people wouldn't be able to get on the bus anymore because we're already pretty at capacity at the peak. Yeah. So in order to enable that, you have to invest in the system, which is more capital dollars. It becomes a very tough economic argument. And Don Iveson put that to the speakers there. He said, well, look, we can raise taxes, something absurd, 16, 18%, raise the 117 million to make transit free. Would you rather we do that and keep the current system and deal with capacity issues and that? Or would you rather we increase the number of buses by half and increase frequency and increase coverage? And the speaker said, well, we'd like you to do both. And now it could have ended there. Don Iveson came off a little bit harsh in it. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm going to push you on this. Right. Um, which would you prefer? 
And they're like, well, we're not policy. Uh, that's that's your job. It's like, well, I have 970,000 bosses. You're one of them. Right. I'm asking for guidance. What do you, would you like me to do? And the speakers, they were very reticent to give a response at all because unfortunately the economics of this is really hard. There is no way to make transit free tomorrow. What I would have liked to see in the policy is a target that we would like transit to be free or we would like transit to be this cost to recognize the value of transit. And then I would like some just like token gesture. So let's reduce the fare by 15 cents. Right. Just to show that, yeah, we're serious about going down this path of making transit more accessible and cheaper. Because council previously froze fare increases, right? Waiting for all of these reports to come back. Mm -hmm. And you had Andrew Knack mention at council this week that, yeah, he would be very reticent to increase the fares at all um, because of the current level of service. He said it's one of the highest in Canada already and said that, yeah, if we need to provide a better service before we consider charging people more, which I think is a fair point. Basically, the decision that was made was that they would send this fare policy back to administration for revision to include a uh, ridership increase target. Right. It feels like council has done nothing here, but I will give them credit where it's due. If we have a transit fare policy that does say we are looking to establish a ridership target and we want to set the fares to achieve that ridership target, then the policy is allowing for free transit right it's also allowing for less than free transit or more expensive transit but it's saying let's use some data and let's set the goal at ridership increase rather than free and then if free is the best option then let's do free so the report said that since 2005 annual ridership has nearly doubled from 47 million to 84 but that it peaked in 2013 sorry at 89 million rides was there any discussion about what they would target a percentage increase well there was ambitious targets thrown around because vancouver has 40 percent transit usage wow. and a couple councillors were like well what did, what would it take to get to 40 percent and the thought was sort of thrown out there like should we set the target at 40 percent mode share and council ultimately rejected that idea as too ambitious too pie in the sky because you'd have to charge drivers or in implement tolls or do something to make it less appealing to drive Absolutely. And in fact, I went to a movie at the downtown theater just last weekend. It was actually a game day. But if you're paying, if you're not going to a game, you're just going to the theater. Yeah. You don't pay the game day prices. So I walked into the city center parkade, me and my partner, we paid $3 in parking. That's less than one fare on the bus. And there was two of us round trip. Right. So the market incentives, I was in this covered parkade direct to the door and it was way price competitive. And probably more convenient in terms of time. Way more convenient. Yep. Because this was on a weekend too. So buses were running reduced routes. We don't have high frequency routes yet. So there is definitely a market incentive and transit. I don't think necessarily transit is too expensive. I think driving is too cheap. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. But this gets me to the crux of my climate change argument, which is that transit usage doesn't really move the needle on climate change. What moves the needle on climate change is urban build form. We need to get to a place where you can walk to the store, you can jump on a train and you can get to the place you want to go and we don't have this sprawling city of Edmonton. We need to get to a better build form. And there's a lot of moving parts to there. Part of it is 
increasing the costs of greenfield development and taxes in the suburb. Part of that is increasing the cost to drive. Part of that is reducing the cost to get around via transit. There's a lot of components to this discussion. But until we recognize that our build form is unsustainable and start making policy directions to move towards that, I don't know that there's any solution to this problem. 100% though, making transit free tomorrow doesn't address that problem. So I, I think you're right. I agree that it's really a land use, land use planning um, problem that we need to address. But if I can put on the hat of the climate activist for a minute, we have declared a climate emergency. Shouldn't we do everything we can, even if it's just a small percentage shift? Isn't that better than not? Sure. Uh, we should do everything that we can, but we can't do a lot. If it's if you have $117 million and that's what you're working with, is making transit free the best way? Is that going to get you the best value for dollars right. in climate change affectation? And no, it absolutely There's a better won't. way to spend that money. There's a better way to spend that money. And there's a better way to get people out of cars because we know that free transit isn't the key to getting people out of the cars. It's a component and it is a great component, but free transit makes people who are already living the active transportation life, already living the core area, the more sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. That'll get them onto the buses more frequently. Right. But it's not going to get people out of the cars. We know that that's a reliability, a convenience, and a cost thing. And the cost of driving has to increase dramatically because even if transit is free, that's only incrementally cheaper than driving. Right. Um, because we don't live in a city where people don't have cars. Like everyone has already amortized the cost of right. the car. That's a sunk cost. So that that is the transit fare policy. Oh boy, we talked about that for a long time. Can I ask you one other thing? Because yeah. I didn't listen, but when I was looking through the reports, one thing that I caught my eye was the mention of smart fare. Mm -hmm. An administration promised that they could provide a more robust calculation for ridership after this was implemented. Now, if we had started our podcast a decade ago, this would have been the longest standing slow burn item I think there is because <laughs> uh, we're still nowhere near having smart fare. Did they talk about this at all? Administration is still holding the line that smart fare will be available end of 2020. Um, and we'll see, I guess. Uh, and part of that, all right, we're going to talk about fair policy a little bit more because part of the advantage of smart fare is that you can have zone based fares. Yeah. So if you are in the core area, you can go a short trip and pay significantly less than someone driving from Wem to Capilano, which many other cities already have. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. The problem with that is that's going to lead to a budget shortfall and a cost to service. That's the important part, and especially with the fare policy. When it says that fares should recover 40 to 45% of the transit fare, it says that's system-wide. Right. So right now, we have a 60% subsidy of people riding the bus. But if I, as a Hazeldiener, ride the bus 10 blocks down White Ave, I'm making a profit for because that bus is full. Yep. I'm paying $325. Like that's, that's a good chunk of change way lower than the cost so what you end up having is like everything else in the city the core users and the downtown users subsidize sprawl these low usage high cost high distance routes cost so much more and the people in the core are actually paying more and not receiving any subsidies on their transit trips so if we were to set the zone-based fare rate low where we have we have graphs of where usage is highest it's highest usage in the core where service is cheap to deliver yeah so if we set the price at a fair price 
for this core area, we're going to find our revenues dramatically drop and we're going to either have to choose to set it astronomically high for the suburb areas. Which means they won't use it. Which means they won't use it because already it is so cheap to drive. So SmartFare is a bit of a, what's that horse that walked into Greece? Trojan horse. <laughs> My name is Troy. Literally, that should have clicked faster. <laughs> SmartFare is a bit of a Trojan horse that I find will be a bit of an attack on our transit fare policy. And if we don't grapple with these problems now, when we go to add SmartFare and add zone-based fares, which we'll have the data to do, we're going to be in the exact same position of like, well, this is going to be a huge cut to revenue if we adjust the fares in this manner, if we adjust the fares to be fair right okay so timer says 27 minutes Mac. all right um you get to choose whether we talk about the bus system expansion or the star metro Let, let's talk about star metro and let's give our it. listeners a transit break sounds good so um journalism is no more yeah pretty much <laughs> so the toronto star announced this week that it's shutting down its star metro commuter newspapers across the country this is edmonton calgary vancouver toronto and halifax the final edition of those papers is going to be published on December 20th, so just before Christmas, and it means they're cutting 73 jobs. I can't say that I'm surprised. It's kind of an inevitability that this was going to happen. The economics of journalism haven't changed. Uh, it's still disappointing, obviously. Anytime we lose you know, the great journalistic work that had been done by the people here in Edmonton, and I'm sure in those other cities, it means there's one less voice for storytelling here in Edmonton, but... You know, people that wring their hands about the demise of journalism should have seen this coming a mile away. Credit to the star, too. They did do some actual pretty exceptional journalism. Uh, I've seen a lot of really good stories come out of the star after it became Star Metro. Um, but I was mentioning before the show, as much as like the Metro spawned some good journalists and stuff, I always sort of felt it as a bit trashy. Like it's it's an LRT paper, you yeah, know? Definitely My, it's Metro roots, right? Yeah. I, so I always thought as Metro is like, I'll read some Delbert comics or whatever while I'm on the train. But I don't didn't think of it as journalism. And part of that, like, back of my head did sort of carry over to the Star Metro. I get that they, that's probably why they added the Star to the Metro branding to give some credence yeah. to this. But I do wonder how many other people sort of felt the same way, that it was an LRT paper and not a real paper. And I'll admit, I was frustrated when I went to their website and some of it was paywalled. And I'm like, I'm not paying for an LRT paper. <laughs> I guess I'm at fault too. Yeah, I mean, the paywall was not very successful for, for Torstar. That's one thing. Another thing that happened when they did this rebrand to Star Metro is they really eliminated, in the same way that Post Media did previously, the localness of each of these papers. And if you went onto the Star Metro Edmonton website, you mostly saw stories that weren't about Edmonton. They were national stories that fed the whole star metro network right and so there's this connection to the community that i think they um destroyed pretty early on when they made that that shift to star metro i mean speaking of community destruction i had a couple stories that they did about me before i ran for council and some interesting stuff about yeg votes in the past they abolished every piece of metro archives when they right yeah that's another thing that i mean i was pretty upset with Star Metro for several months after they entered the market because I'm like, why would you do that? And it makes zero sense when your business model is still predicated on page views. Exactly. Like, why wouldn't you keep all of that inventory available, right? It, yeah, it's bizarre. They're not closing down entirely. Yeah, what they've announced that they're going to do is open these digital bureaus, 
I'm not really sure what that means, but essentially they're planning to have five reporters in Vancouver, five in Alberta, and one in Halifax. So they're going from 73 job cuts to rehiring, I guess, 11 of them. But they're reposting those jobs, and and these uh, individuals will be responsible for doing journalism just for the star.com from these locations. When other orgs like The Journal have done this, or like CTV, we found out that uh, Daryl McIntyre was in fact forced to take that buyout. Right. It's because high salaries, you know, being a veteran. Right. When post media has gone through their rounds and rounds of cuts, often what they're trying to do is encourage or entice people that have been there for a long time and make a lot of money to either take a cut or a package or whatever, because it lowers their overhead significantly. Uh, I'm a bit surprised that they're reposting all of these jobs for Star Metro because they didn't have that. They didn't have tons of uh, long-term serving journalists that were, were making a ton of money. So it's a bit of a strange decision on their part, I think, to go and, you know, fire everybody and then rehire a few of them. As you say, a few of them are are, are uh, union-based, so 11 of the positions are with Unifor, according to the memo. So it could be union-busting, I guess? Yeah. Um, But it's clearly not an overhead thing if they're going to rehire those people back. It's a bit strange. It might have just been corporate restructuring. Like, they wanted to hire into the actual Tor Star brand. Maybe it was a subsidiary, and this is just easier than moving the positions. I don't know. It's, It's very weird the way they're doing this. So, I mean, it's unfortunate for the talented journalists that we had here in Edmonton who were, who are doing great stories. Uh, it's another, you know, negative thing happened in the world of journalism. But as I said, it's not surprising. Nobody's trying anything in this case to, to change the model. And so it was always a matter of time, matter of if, uh, when rather than if. Is there a local journalism organization trying to change the model of how journalism is done? There might be. Yeah, no, Taproot is definitely trying to do this. And we're trying to do this with a different uh, a different approach. And there's other organizations across the country as well, right, that are trying to take a different approach to how the business model for journalism works. So I don't know that we have the right answer, but we're not laying off 73 people today. So hopefully we're going on the right track and we'll we'll adjust as we need to. If you lay me off, remember, my cat needs to eat too. <laughs> um, we're going to jump into one final topic in our slow burn. We talked about chorus and harvard media and the power 92 power 107 debacle we got an answer um power 107 lost yeah really interesting both you and i were like i can't believe this finally happened and then the statement of defense were like oh that's a really good statement of defense uh but now they have to find a new name yeah there's a just a couple things i want to mention quickly basically they lost the court granted an injunction saying you can't use the power name because you're clearly being copycats. Come on. <laughs> yeah, the evidence is clear. I think, though, um, the Harvard Media totally has grounds for an appeal there because the trademark expired. If they right. wanted to appeal, I, I think they totally could and they totally could win. But they're not going to. And I think it's because this is the best possible outcome. I think at every point in this, Harvard knew exactly what they were doing. And this was a win-win scenario. They either get to keep the power name and get the nostalgia branding. Yep. Great for them. Or this happens. And they get the attention. They win or they lose. Like they win. It's like, we've got the power. They lose and they're like, oh, what was me? We're going to run a contest. If they're Radio McRadio face in a month, <laughs> this will be an international item. Like this is the absolute best case scenario. And like I can't imagine. And I think that's why they're not going to file an right. appeal. Yeah. Because then that makes them seem like desperate and hand wringy. Whereas this is just like, yeah, we got the publicity. Great. Let's do a radio show now. A real cynical way to handle sort of just like intellectual property and our justice system. But radio gonna radio. Um, That's my hot take on that. 
because we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And we want to talk about our fellow APN member, the Eskimo Empire Podcast. Now, fun fact, the Eskimos are a football team in the city of Edmonton, which... You're a big fan, right? Apparently. Um, so I was reading this ad copy and it says that the latest episode features the Eskimos lost in the Eastern final. I, I bumped on that <laughs> um, and sets up the Grey Cup taking place on Sunday, November 24th. We're recording on November 21st. And I said, wait, the Eskimos are playing football now and the Grey Cups this weekend. I guess I should have listened to the Eskimo Empire podcast. No. Listen, and you can find it at esksempire.ca and just like find a friend who is like Troy and just say, hey, participate in culture, Yanard. <laughs> That's all we actually have time for this week. Mac, you're back from Chicago. You have an opportunity to plug anything you want off the end. Check out our new arts podcast, Speaking Artistically. I, I think I actually plugged that you did last, last week. week. Before, yeah. yeah, I'm on the ball. We might actually talk about something non-transit next week. Uh, or we might just, this might be the free transit, the podcast, and we'll go on and on about it. We'll get to that next week. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.